Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. This is Inside Sources. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you today, as always. Obviously, we're following a lot of the proceedings going on in Washington and the back and forth. And you may be like a lot of people around the country who are just exhausted uh, with all of this going on in Washington on a regular basis. And it's 24-7, 365 days a year. And so many have decided to to disconnect from the process. As I travel around the country, uh, people are tired. They're, they're starving for a different kind of conversation, a more elevated look at the, the issues of the day. Uh, last time I was in Washington, D.C., I mean, the whole city is exhausted and tired. And there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. There are a lot of great people on both sides of the aisle in Washington, D.C., who are just spent. They're just done. They don't know what to do uh, because the partisanship has become such the central focus, both sides raising vast sums of money off of it and uh, the media jumping on and and, uh, egging it on in so many different ways. And so there is sort of this exhaustion thing going on. And for a while, I've really thought, okay, how do that's just how does that end? This just doesn't end well, because if we all get so exhausted that we just disconnect from the process, then we got a real problem. Uh, but I heard something over the weekend from Ken Burns. Of course, he's done uh, just such wonderful documentaries on so many different things in history, from baseball to the Civil War and everything in between. And he gave some really interesting perspective when it comes to this idea of exhaustion around the country. And he actually makes the case that this exhaustion might actually be the thing that changes the conversation in the country. Here's what Ken Burns had to say. I've had the privilege for the last 40 plus years of studying who we are in a number of films that we've done nearly 30 films about American history. Is this period of division and polarization common? Yes, it is. I think this is going to be an easier fix than we think You it do? Is. I do, I do. I think that it's going to be just a question of exhaustion. At some point, it isn't, you don't have to have a civil war. It's not that deep. Wow, that's that was uh, an eye-opener for me. when He said, I think this is going to be easier to reunite the nation than it has been in the past. So I do think that's important for all of us to sort of factor in a little bit that, one, we've, we've been here before. 
Uh, we are we are not uh, standing on the battlefield in the Civil War. Uh, we've had some real epic battles in this country. We've been deeply divided over various periods of time, and so it's nice to hear a historian say, "Yeah, don't don't panic. We've we've done this before, and it's actually this time should be easier than a lot of the others." But then he tapped into this interesting idea. I had never thought of it this way. Uh, so think about what Ken Burns said. He said. The exhaustion of the nation may be what triggers the reuniting of the nation. I find that really interesting. And then he leads into his next thought. Again, this is uh, Ken Burns. And he he talks about the fact that there will be a moment where there won't be any more them. They'll just be us. You've been through the Depression as a teenager. And then all of a sudden you're asked to join this man's army. You get it. You understand that self-sacrifice is what it's about. Shared sacrifice is what it's about. This is what we've lost. We're now all independent free agents because we do this all day and we think it's just us. When in fact, what I learned is that it is only us. There's no them. I love that. It's only us. There is no them. If, If we can start living that, in our homes, in our families, in our communities, that's what's going to turn the country. Uh, it's not going to come from Washington, D.C. It's not going to come from anywhere else. It's going to come from us because it's only us. There is no them. And uh, Ken Burns, again, noted historian. His his films on uh, various points of history are, are so uh, thought-provoking. And I love this idea that we are going to be so exhausted that we are going to come back together. He did note uh, that uh, World War II, where you had everyone coming together around shared sacrifice, was such an important part. And that seems to be one of the things that we're lacking from our leaders. If you want to look at the point that's uh, about the leadership of the country, uh, no leader uh, is really calling on the people to unite. Shared sacrifice, common purpose, common goals, uh, do something great. And to me, that is the the essence of leadership is can you call people from diverse backgrounds and experience and interests around a common good and a common cause? And to me, that is the test of real leadership. Extraordinary leadership happens when that woman or that man steps forward and calls people together together. Uh, We played on Thursday last week the great speech uh, on uh, December 7th from Eleanor Roosevelt. I think she did a better job of rallying the country around common interests and common good uh, than even the president did on Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, And so there are those moments in history, but all of them are dependent on our ability to get past this us-them mentality. Uh, a while back, I had the opportunity to sit down with uh, U.S. Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska, and he has a uh, he's written two books since he's been in office, neither one of which was really about politics. They're about people, they're about culture, and they're about community. His latest book was called Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. Uh, and so I, I asked uh, the senator about that, uh, about what is it that is preventing us from coming together uh, as a country. Here's what Senator Ben Sass had to say. Obviously, I'm in agreement with you that that's really uh, an unhelpful way to approach the world. Humans are not tools. Humans are not instruments. 
humans are people created in the image of God with dignity, uh, and we need to approach each other that way. Um, but I, I do want to underscore the point that though there's a lot that we can and, and, and in some certain contexts have wrestled with uh, together about the president, Donald Trump didn't cause this problem. Donald Trump can't right. fix this problem. Politics didn't cause this problem. Politics can't fix this problem. Politics is downstream from a much bigger uh, crisis in this moment. And I think political tribalism is ramping. Political tribalism is bad. It's ramping precisely because the good tribalisms are in collapse. Good tribes are your nuclear family, the way you stick up for your brother and your sister, uh, that sort of bond you feel parent to child and child to parent and grandparent to cousin. Uh, a good tribe is deep friendship, and it, you're so right, Boyd, to, to sort of play this off against a, a Facebook or a social media sense of friends. There's data which shows if you go from 200 to 500 social media friends, you don't get any happier. If you go from 500 to 1,000 social media friends, you don't get any happier. If you go from 1,000 to many thousands of social media friends, you actually get less happy because uh, you have to spend more time tending to the grooming of this online persona. And conversely, um, if you go from three to four real human friends, these are people who, when you're happy, they're happy. Not because it's transactional, not because they choose to be happy, just because they love you. And if, if you're happy, they soar. That's how it is with our kids, right? When my seven-year-old boy is flying down the street on his bike and the sun is shining on his face and there's nothing in the world except that moment of goodness that he's feeling, my chest expands. Like, I'm just delighted. Or when my teenage daughters are hurt by something, I hurt, not because I choose to, but just because they're part of me. I love them. And that friendship, that sort of potential rootedness of embodied neighbors. If you, if you know the person two doors down from you, um, you're statistically much likelier to be happy than if you don't know the person two doors down from you. Those uh, rooted aspects of family and friendship and neighborhood, that's who we are as beings that have been created with bodies. And, and the social media world has potential for good, but a lot of the time what it really does is displace the local, which is really where people find happiness and meaning. Okay, so many, so many important lessons in there, uh, and I think the the one that I I want all of you to be thinking about today is that that politics is is downstream. <laughs> it's a downstream problem. So when we talk about the divisiveness of the nation, and most of that's political in nature, it's downstream. Uh, the things that really matter are are our community, uh, the good form of tribes, as he talked about, brother, sister, family, neighborhood. Uh, those are great. But when we start to set those aside and we start to have these epic battles on our social media pages, uh, we're, we're getting less happy. Uh, we're getting more exhausted and, and not in a good way. And so if we're going to really turn things around in this country, uh, as Senator Sass said, President Trump did not start this. President Trump can't end this. Uh, politics didn't start it. Politics won't end it uh, on any side of the equation. And so it comes down to the individual. What are we going to do today to make a difference, uh, to have a different kind of conversation, to elevate the conversation, to lift somebody, to help somebody, and to engage in those relationships that actually matter most? All right, time to step aside. When we come back, we will be joined by the great Lee Lonsberry in the house, uh, his program beginning this week on KSL News Radio. You want to stick around, get to know Lee just a little bit better right here on KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. 
I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.